Thanks for that piece of lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. Thank you for joining us again today. We have our good friend with us, Helen Q. Helen's running for City Council District 1. She's running against Christopher Marte, who is a member of the Progressive Caucus. He was a big supporter of Defund the Police. We're excited to have Helen on. She's endorsed not only by the Republican Party, but by the Conservative Party as well. I believe she's a voice for reason. The people that don't know District 1, it's in lower Manhattan. And it's a, it's a vital district to New York City. It's one of the financial districts of the world. It's a multicultural place. Uh, it's a place that my partner in crime, Eric Dim, who I'm joined by, as always, the most complained cop in New York City, also known as the boogeyman on the streets of the Bronx. Eric, how you doing, my brother? Outstanding. It's a pleasure to meet you, Helen. Helen Q, especially since I was a crime sergeant PSA 4, which covers a, a portion of your district. Also, I have a love for, for uh, Asian uh, descendants and uh, Asian culture. I'm in Thailand right now for the past three months. I'm headed for Malaysia. I'll be spending quite a lot of time in, in Asia. I don't know how long yet, but I'm enjoying myself. It's such a pleasure to meet you. So let's get right into it. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself and why you want to be in politics and why you want to serve District 1, if you could tell us also a little bit about your district and how you correlate to that district, if you could go ahead, we appreciate it. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you, Eric. I'm truly honored. This is truly New York's finest podcast because I stand with the blue and the blue is our finest. And I want to show you that my honor, uh, my uh, gratitude to your service. And I, I think when I'm elected city council district one, I will restore such respect to our uh, frontline uh, risk uh, responders and our uh, NYPD. And this is what uh, we should be. Thank you. So I'm very honored to be here. Um, Thank you, Helen. No, no, I appreciate it. that. Was very nice of you, you know. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying to accomplish at, at this podcast. And we're, we're yeah. trying to find friends for common sense and for the police because there's not there's not many of them today in politics. So, like Eric said, what 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 you know, where did you where did you grow up, and then what led you to now where you're like, hey, I I'm, I got to run, I got to do something about this. Yeah, I I was born in China. Uh, not that far from uh, Eric's uh, the, uh, visiting place, Thailand. Uh, I, I was born in China and I grew up in southern China, uh, the city Guangzhou or Canton. If some of you have eaten Cantonese food, yes, that's where I came from. And Canton uh, was famous for dim sum, you know, so that type of Chinese food was from my hometown. And I grew up there and had my graduate, uh, uh, my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering at, uh, in Zhongshan University. It's uh, one of the top 10 universities in China. And then I came to United States uh, uh, as a graduate uh, student. Uh, so I work uh, as a tutor in University of Illinois uh, when I was a graduate student. And I move on to become uh, engineering uh, a program manager, uh, managing multi-million dollars. So from that aspect, I truly think America is a land for people who are willing to work hard, who are willing to uh, put their heart to it and then build a team with other uh, fellow Americans and fellow immigrants. I am a legal immigrant. I, I waited for over almost three years to get my uh, green card uh, for the company to prove to the immigration office that uh, they need to hire me to advance their business. And they tried to hire um, uh, American citizen, but they couldn't obtain one. So they, they need to have that process to prove, which I think is very fair because if America within the pool of citizens, they already find someone then they should let the job go to an American citizen first, which 
uh, I fully support uh, as uh, immigrant. I fully support uh, let American be the first to receive a job opportunity, to receive uh, benefits, to receive support, to receive training. So I think that is a very dignified way uh, things to do. So that is very different from my opponent who wants open border, who wants to put um, non-citizens first. So, yeah, that's one aspect about uh, my my uh, journey in America. And from that point on, I uh, I got my master degree in engineering. So it gives my candidacy a very practical aspect of approach. Uh, in my view, uh, we have too many advocates in our city council and. In fact, in almost all level of government, we have a lot of advocates, but we lack of uh, practical uh, solutions. We lack of engineers. We lack of um, uh, people in construction. Uh, we have people in business, but that's not enough. We need practical solutions. We need people who want to see results, not just talk about uh, how to do things. And a lot of times our, pas our passion uh, will be very different when it's being executed on the on the spot. Uh, so uh, I think um, for, I, I take the uh, sanctuary law, uh, for example. Uh, we are uh, very passionate. We want to help out people who are in need. And I am fully in echo with that. I'm a Christian pastor. Uh, I'm, I, I can say uh, I, I love to be compassionate. But when the compassionate is not met with sufficient funding and it's not met with sufficient uh, vetting of the people coming into our border, then it become our compassion is being misplaced and it becomes dangerous. So right now, uh, the border issue is not only a um, financial uh, challenge, uh, a social challenge, but also a national security challenge. Thank you. Oh, absolutely, John. You want to jump in? Um, no, I was, I was waiting. I was waiting for you, but yeah, Helen. If I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, it, it, it greatly affects public safety, not only in your district but in the entire city. I think, I think Eric Adams' stance on, on, on the right to shelter law. I don't believe he's interpreting it correctly. Uh, I don't think that it applies to people who have illegally crossed the border. I believe it only applies to New York City residents, which they are not. Um, I, you know, the terms we could use, we could say that they're illegal aliens. We could say they're asylum seekers. But either way, whatever the term you want to use, the, the right to the right to shelter law does not apply, does not apply to these individuals. And he's he's misinterpreting it incorrectly. Um, what what do you feel from the people in your district? What do you feel are the biggest concerns for District 1 specifically? Because, you know, you're in city council. What, what are you seeing? What are you hearing out there? And, and, what, and what, are you, what are you planning on? Uh, I think we, I hear uh, two major things. Uh, the number one issue is the crime. Uh, we feel uh, dangerous when we are out on the street. We feel dangerous when we are on the subways. We feel dangerous when we are on the bus. We feel dangerous when the sun sets at five, six o'clock. That shouldn't be New Yorkers' life. We should be able to walk on the street with our family. Our children should be able to play on the streets with other friends. Uh, right now, we do not see that. And I give you a couple examples. One is in Fulton Street. There's a Burger King near Fulton and William. And that is, has become a drug den. And I visited several times and I see in my raw eyes uh, what is going on there. They're, they blatantly exchange uh, money and drugs at that location with no concern whatsoever. And you would think when people conduct uh, criminal activity, they, they at least have the conscience to hide it, right? They try to hide it from public. They don't want people to see. But these people, they are so emboldened that they even doing it during broad daylight, 24 seven. So 
you got to ask yourself, why are they so emboldened? You know, why do they not feel any shame? So that's one aspect. The other one is the, the shops, uh, either a deli shop, a mom and dad bodega, or CVS, Duane Reed, or some other shops, uh, Safara uh, makeup shop, and Victoria's Secret, very famous uh, women's uh, shop, clothing shop. They are, they are, uh, they are closed because they cannot handle the theft and robbery. They lie robbery. Um, today, uh, you can grab a garbage get bag or maybe your backpack and you just go to do and read and they already locked up. Even toothpaste are locked up at some places. Can you imagine a toothpaste is being locked up? What kind of city is this? Is this New York City? Do you pay $5 million to live near uh, Duenry where toothpaste is locked up? This is a shame for our city and it has to change. So they just blatantly use their screwdriver or even their raw hands, some of them are very strong, to break open that, that, uh, that lock and then put the toothpaste inside their backpack. And then they do their morning inventory run and then they took the inventory and sell it in parks i have a park near here two parks uh, mm. uh near, near chinatown they just sell it there you know uh they sell it on, on union square they, they they put things out in the open and sell shampoo uh, for two dollars they just blatantly selling them and some naive innocent Walker buys do not know where they're coming, where these products come from. So they took them and they probably buy them. So they have a market. And I feel this is a failure of city, uh, city council, not just the mayor. The, there are 51 city councils. They do not share the same views. Uh, I will belong to the common sense party, common sense caucus. And my opponent, Christopher Mate, will be is is a member of the Progressive Caucus. So they want to harbor these uh, these crimes. They want to say, oh, uh, they do this because they're poor. No, there are many people who are more poor, uh, but they never commit crimes. That's not an excuse for crime. And it's also an uh, insult to people who are in poverty, as if crime and poverty are together. No. It's an insult to the people in poverty. A lot of people, I think majority of the people who in whatever circumstances are in poverty, they do not commit crimes. They live a dignified life, uh, even though they're poor. If you're poor, it doesn't mean you lose your dignity. You know, If you're rich, it doesn't mean that you gain more dignity than a poor person. Every human being has the same amount of dignity in front of God. And that's how we should treat ourselves. Thank you. Oh, uh, absolutely. First of all, Helen, I want to thank you for coming on the show and having an opportunity to present your platform, especially for your opponents. Just such complete opposition to common sense caucus here. It, you know, and we we share some commonalities here. I'm, I'm here in Thailand. I'm spending a lot of time in Asia. I have a great admiration for Asian culture. There's actually a huge Chinatown here in Thailand that I, I experienced going to different restaurants and shops. But what also the commonality is that I was a crime sergeant in PSA 4, which is encompasses your district, especially in Chinatown. And what I had experienced when I was working at PSA 4 is we had a rash of hate crimes. I'll never forget. And if any of my team members back there are listening, I know they remember this right now because they were all pissed off. Their lives had gotten changed upside down, but it was for the better good. We used to work six at night, two in the morning. And we had agents getting attacked. We had a hate crimes task force just because they were Asian. So we ended up working at 930 at night to 6 in the morning for about a year. Uh, so some of the guys, you know, they were really upset we had to change our tours, but it was for the better good. But that was back, I would say, about 2011. And that's when we had a lot more support in the police department, especially from our New York City Council. We even had uh, less of a targeted civilian complaint review board than we do in comparison to now. And we were really at the thick of doing intrusive police work, especially myself and my teams. 
So right now in your district, you and I had spoke offline and you said it's getting even worse. So <clears throat> what's interesting also about the Chinese community is I've met a lot of people in Thailand from China and they live in China and they're here vacationing. And they tell me how safe it is in some of the cities that they're in because of facial recognition and the artif artificial intelligence. And it's very intrusive and it does impede on their privacy. Some of them said they think it's for good because ultimately they feel safe three and four in the morning walking anywhere. Now, I'm not saying it has to be to that point, but what do you think we need to do in your community to make sure it's safe, especially when you tell me that you think it's worse right now, especially from these hate crimes? Because it's a very dynamic area. You In Chinatown, you have a lot of housing, so there's, there's blacks, there's a, a large Jewish community that encompasses also borders Chinatown. So you, we have a, a mix, a, a real cosmopolitan area in your district. Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yes, we do. And uh, I, uh, we are adjacent to Alfred, uh, my office actually is adjacent to Alfred Smith House, which is a NYCHA housing that has uh, a lot of uh, black uh, Americans living there. And uh, I go there all the time and they call me Miss Helen. <laughs> so uh, if anybody are listening, hi, uh, Alfred Smith from, hello from Miss Helen. <laughs> they love me there. And I tell them the same thing, um, and they share with me the same thing. The, the crime uh, is, uh, is a crime. Uh, and sometimes it's uh, motivated by hate, uh, but more of the times is motivated by uh, the policy, okay? So uh, yes, some people will commit crime because they hate you, right? But more because I can commit crime to you because I can get away from it. I think that is a bigger, much, much bigger motivator than uh, for the fun of committing crime because you are from a different race. Uh, so <clears throat> I think we, I, I acknowledge, you know, some crimes are hate crimes, but nonetheless, they are very small amount. The larger amount is just general crime. And it happened that it's a, uh, you are there, and then I commit crime to you. So it's about the policy. Uh, the crime has gotten so much worse from two years ago because we start to implement cashless bail uh, in April 2021. And ever since then, criminals are even more emboldened. Before, they are emboldened in certain ways because uh, New York is soft on crime. But after that, it's even more emboldened Plus, we have a very uh, crime, uh, crime um, harborer, I would say. He, he's just harboring all the crimes, uh, Alvin Bragg, right? So now I want to talk about Alvin Bragg. And why is it important to this vote in November for me? Because Christopher Mate, my opponent, and Alvin Bragg, and all lines of state legislators, Grace Lee, Brian Kavanaugh, they all belong to Progressive Caucus. And Alvin Bragg and AOC and Oma and Taleb, all of them are in the caucus called Progressive Caucus. They, they want to find excuses for crime and they want to allow the criminals to go back on the street without any consequences. That's why people got arrested 54 times and you find them on the 55th time on the street. And the person that attack um, people on the street physically uh, as a felony was released. Uh, 10 drug, uh, 30 drug lords was captured uh, by uh, the uh, drug uh, task force. And all of them are released with no consequences because Alvin Bragg, um, and we have criminals on the street that were being released 20 times, 30 times. And one of the uh, residents <clears throat> in my district, uh, uh, Christina uh, uh, Lee, she, she's a sweet lady and she was attacked in her home and stabbed to death because of the crime. And that person was a homeless, was arrested over 12 times. I think 12 or 13 times. And then and then next to it, 
she he killed someone. And prior, he was arrested 12 times, but was released. And uh, the guy that attacked I remember Zeldin the case. with a knife. Do you remember, uh, John? Maybe you remember the guy attacked Lee Zeldin on a rally with a knife. Was released in two hours. <laughs> so what does it tell people? It mainly tells people you can attack other people with a knife and you will be released in two hours. You can go to Duane Reed and grab all their toothpaste and shampoo, or maybe something more expensive, like some makeup and stuff. And you will be released, maybe, maybe not even arrested, you know? <laughs> so it, uh, there are a lot of people, small business owners that I talk to, when they are being attacked, they say, okay, I don't want to bother calling the police. Number one, I have language barriers. I don't speak very good English. So I cannot explain what happened. And if I'm not careful, maybe they will arrest me. <laughs> you know, you remember uh, Jose Alba, right? Jose Alba was arrested. And then he, you know, he was about to be killed. Um, and he was arrested. Eventually, it turned out that he is being released. But not, with, not without public help. You know, why do we come to this when people no longer feel... Um, feel at peace to defend themselves, no longer uh, feel like they, this is a world of just justice. <clears throat> Small business, they are being attacked uh, every day, every day. I have a, a fruit shop right next to me. They say they have people coming to grab their fruit, orange, apple, whatever they want. They just put them in their hands. And the thing that infuriated them is, if you're hungry, you get one too, they're happy to do it. But they have a one bite of the apple and they throw it away. And, and why, why do we as city, city council, allow something to happen? Because we have policies that allow this to happen. And without a good city council who knows what we are doing, we will continue to suffer. Our city will continue to suffer. And that explains why, uh, Eric, you see a very bad crime at that time when you were ser serving. And thanks to you for service to our community. But the crime is so much more rampant right now because of the policies. Because I can get away from it, why not get some free shampoo from Duran Reed? Why not get some free makeup, you know, uh, from CVS? Why not? Uh, so, so this, uh, and they are closing. Target is closing, right? Target is closing. And uh, a lot of shops are closing because they cannot stand this. Uh, nobody can take the loss. A lot of Victoria's Secrets are closing. A lot of um, uh, shops are closing because they, they cannot afford this. And I have talked to so many, uh, even smaller shops, uh, like maybe selling shoes, uh, selling some clothes. They cannot survive. Uh, they they make very little money. They it's a small margin. It's not like uh, Gucci, you know. Uh, you get a watch for like I don't know ten thousand uh, dollars, but the watch itself probably doesn't cost that much, right? But for small shops, they sell a variety of watches for you know twenty bucks, and their margin is small. They make ten dollars. If you grab it, basically he has to sell two more watches in order to make up for the one that you, you just rob away. And if you come with a bag, with your backpack, and break the glasses, rob all the watches, it means bankruptcy. It just means bankruptcy. And, and, and police are not doing anything because their hands are tight. So... No, no. I mean, listen, th th this all stuff, everything you're talking about, listen, I know the bail reform's on a state level. But yes. everything that you're talking about is directly stemming from New York City Council. Everything, right? Everything yes. is harm reduction, right? We can't tell homeless people to move because that's wrong. It's wrong to tell homeless people to move. So what do they do? They go against, they, they write laws that the police department can no longer uh, enforce uh, aggressive panhandling. They write laws that the police department can no more and longer enforce loitering. Where in the past, you know, they made it, they, you know, if you listen to these city council here, they make like police are evil and they treat homeless people bad when that's not the case. The average police officer 
has a relationship with the homeless people on the street, right? We would offer them shelter. We would offer them to go to a facility. A lot of times they didn't, but they would listen to us if they if they were blocking the door to your business or if they were in, had an encampment somewhere. Because if they didn't listen, we had the ability to arrest them for the night. Some of the people wanted that because I want to get off the streets for the night and I don't want to go to the shelter. I'd rather go to jail. But to go to jail, it's for one night. Nobody was ever getting prosecuted for loitering or aggressive panhandling where they were spending hours and, and days and, and months in jail unless they were wanted for other charges. That That is the whole myth. So yeah. we stop enforcing that. So there's homeless everywhere. What what are the homeless breed? Mental illness, right? You have poor Michelle Go. You have poor uh, uh, Mrs. Lee, right? These are people that are killed because we're allowing homeless, mentally ill people on New York City streets. We can blame New York City Council directly for that. They have, they repealed those two things. Now we we talk about the drug use, right? It's legal to use drugs in New York City. Police cannot stop you anymore. It's legal for you to possess a hypodermic needle. The police cannot stop you anymore. We no longer test. I can't arrest you for shooting up in public anymore. City Council, again, another law that they passed. They call it harm reduction. But we're going after, we don't go after the drug dealers anymore either because it's being presented that the drug dealers are just these poor drug addicted people that the police want to send to jail for the rest of their life. Also not true. Nobody went to jail for a long time for using drugs in New York City. You would get locked up for the night and, and it would deter people's ability to see drugs being used on our street. Now we don't have that anymore. Again, thanks to the New York City Council. And the last thing, the shoplifting. Your opponent, the progressive caucus, they consistently say shoplifting is a victimless crime. And Forget the big corporations because they got the money to eat it. It's what you're talking about. Those small businesses cannot sustain. It is not a victimless crime. Not only is that business owner suffering, but you going out there to go shopping, you the, the price, they have to raise the price to, to, to make the money on that small margin to try to make the margin back. So it's, it's, it's affecting the taxpayer. It's affecting the consumer. And then you want to go to the bigger stores like Dwayne Reed because you're an elderly person. Guess what? You can't go get your medicine on your corner anymore. What do you have to say to, to your, your opponent and the progressive caucus that about specifically about them saying that shoplifting is a victimless crime? Yes, uh, John, uh, that's such a, a great point, and um, you lead us to see how this very uh, notion, uh, rhetoric, is severely deteriorating our quality of life, and it's severely destroying the enjoyable for almost every New Yorkers, right? So the only people enjoy this uh, uh, only people who liked it are the criminals. So every New Yorkers do not like this. We do not like shoplifting. We want law to be enforced. And one thing I want to not make an excuse for the city council about cashless bail is city council write many resolutions that uh, influence state policy, even federal policy, if city council do their job. Because city council is not meant to only care about the city laws and not to care about anything else. It's all connected. And what Progressive Caucus does is they have a streamlined operation from the federal AOC, Omar, Talib, pushing to the state legislation, Grace Lee, for example, in my district, and then pushing through city council. Christopher Mate in my district, for example. So it's a streamlined process. They know they need it to be streamlined. Otherwise, the law is not going to pass. If the state do not pass that law, the city will not suffer. But the state passed that law, the city suffers. And if I, if my, my people suffer, I have the right to defend for my people. And do not tell me it's a state law. We will influence it and make sure the state changes. Otherwise, we will take means. Maybe I will say, don't come to my district. You know, you are hurting my district. Uh, you have to make a statement about my district before I put you on a speakerphone for anything you want to do. Uh, because my district cannot take this anymore. 
You write the law in Albany and let me suffer? How can that be right? It's the same thing. The federal write laws, the federal execute policies, and that our we suffer inflation. We cannot pump our gas. We cannot afford better food for our children. We cannot take a vacation with our kids. That is not right. We have every right to affect the federal policies, not just at the one one day when we vote. Who is the president? Who is the um, uh, Congress? Who is the Senate? No, it doesn't stop that one day. Every day we have the we have the right to defend our own family, our own community, and our country. So I think that right nobody can take it away from us by limiting to. Uh, what city council does. On the other hand, I do think that what you mentioned are uh, very relevant. Uh, one thing, uh, my opponent want to close the Rikers. Actually, the entire progressive caucuses want to close the Rikers, right? And it was a bill passed before uh, 2021. However, however, I think it's 2019. However, city council can always repeal it. There's nothing stopping it. If if I get elected, I'm going to repeal it. I'm going to say, I don't want it. Uh, and I want to see who, who will come with me to say we don't want it. We cannot have um, borough-based jails. It's just not uh, feasible for New Yorkers. The congestion, the uh, density of residents, we cannot have borough-based jails. And when people are released, they're released back on a very busy and dense street, and that really also will hurt us. So uh, on those things, I think we, we really need to enforce good policy, and we need to let the NYPD do their jobs. And the NYPD should tell uh, the, uh, the city council and tell the state legislatures and say, look, if you do not change laws to protect us doing our job, to protect our community, maybe you shouldn't come to have a photo op with us. You know, why? <laughs> why do I give you the photo op, op, you know, as if I support you? No, Guess what? Uh, NYPD is not supporting anybody, but they can, but they have the right to defend themselves. I think they have the right to say, you know, we make a statement. I, I have to check with, actually, John and Eric, you guys can tell me. Can NYPD make a statement out and say this particular law is making our officers not able to do certain jobs? Can they can they say something like that? Absolutely, they can. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's my point. But they so, won't. So, because so they're politically would, appointed. If, yeah, that's why how important it is to elect someone that that are willing to do it. I don't know why they won't do it. Maybe like what you said, uh, like what I just said, like a streamlined operation, right? So so you cannot stop the operation. Alan, I can tell you why. I can absolutely tell you. Well, it's interesting that you say that because John and I, we've been attending monthly meetings at the CCRB virtually. Mm. And there's never a representation there from the NYPD, and they should be there. Yeah. The NYPD fails. It's an epic fail when it comes to leadership for standing out and telling the public, hey, in order for us to have your best interest in public safety, we have these progressive laws that are inhibiting us from doing exactly. intrusive police work. Intrusive police work is the bedrock, the foundation of policing that actually curbs crime. And we can't do it. Why don't they do it? I'll tell you. For some, it's poor leadership. And most, it's because it's self-serving. Most of the management that we have in the NYPD is paving the way for their offspring or for their own careers. It's not about public safety, it's about them first. And that's why John and I are speaking out. That's one of the contributing factors that is really contributing to the crime out there. We've heard Chief John Shell speak out and say that the perception of crime doesn't correlate with the actual crime and that they need to sell this narrative to the public. It's interesting what you talk about. I've heard everything that you say here. It's very, as you said, without us even speaking about it, completely independent from one another, that you felt the change of crime within the past two years. And John, yes. I have actually, John specifically, I have to give John credit, he puts out the actual comp stat sheet from the police department showing the data in comparison to the past two years. The police department has bragged about a reduction in crime, some about 4% in specific areas. These are small measures, but they're only talking about the major felony crimes. They're not talking about the quality of life issues that you're talking about, the shoplifting, 
They're not talking about the homelessness, the drugs that you're seeing in your area. And I know I worked at PSA 4. There was a high substance abuse then. There's meth clinics that are in and around your district. And also, you it's much more even prevalent now. You have vending machines. You have them enabled. But you, you and I also talked, that, talked about, which I'd like you to talk about also, because your opponent is promoting prostitution by legalizing prostitution. And I remember working as a crime sergeant at PSA 4, especially in your district, trafficking was extremely prevalent. Prostitution was prevalent. There was, there was a heavy amount of enforcement with that. But we hear from your opponent and also Tiffany Caban how prostitution, how they're being victimized, and how they have to protect the sex workers. So what's your position on, on prostitution, and is it affecting quality of life in your community? Or, yeah. it, or is it something better to promote uh, it as far as legalization? Absolutely no legalizing prostitution for me. Uh, I am a Christian pastor, and it's not because, uh, oh, you're a Christian, you have this uh, particular view. Not even that. Uh, prostitution ruined the entire community. It ruined families. It ruined men. It ruined women. So it's, uh, it's some people say, oh, it's the oldest profession, as if it's a league, it's a, a legitimate profession. No, it's not. Uh, it's hurting ch uh, uh, young children, uh, young young men and young women, and it become a den of uh, trafficking. And a lot of women are being forced into prostitution, and and they are fo being forced. And when they are being forced, they almost have no way to get out of it uh, because the debt the situation, how they can make money to get out of it, it become almost uh, a bottomless pit that they're being thrown into. It's just so horrific. And for a city council to even entertain the idea of legalizing a potentially dangerous trafficking activity is unfathomable for me. And I think it's a moral obligation for every voter to vote out every progressive caucus member, and uh, my opponent included, because their mind is corrupt. It's like a corrupt mind that you do not see the way to repair that mind. Let's say if uh, uh, Crystal Marte's head <laughs> and mind is in front of me, and uh, if I can twist it, I wish I can, but he's so corrupt. He's, he wants to legalize prostitution. He wants to allow limitless uh, termination of pregnancy, even to the day of birth. What kind of corrupt mind will you think a baby on the birthday versus the baby the day before? In his mind, you can abort the baby the day before the birthday, and it will be okay for him. I cannot phantom such mind and then he wants to legalize all the smoke shops we have so many smoke shops next to playgrounds next to housing projects next to uh uh, uh nursing nursery homes uh, next to uh, children's schools uh, we cannot have all these smoke shops there and smoke shops also another den of uh, crime and and it's heartbroken to see uh, to see very young people. Uh, I say that you know I I was at the uh, Rogers houses. Uh, it's uh, another housing project near me. I talk to those people. I, I say you know I I love you guys. I tell them they are smoking. You know, <laughs> people say why are you going to talk to these people? Don't talk to them. But I sincerely I love them. They're young. They are strong. And they're smoking. I don't think these three things come together. You are young, you are strong, and I believe God gives talent to everybody. Maybe, you know, the two of you, you are just so strong, so fit, and I'm not as strong, I'm not as fit, so I may not be as good a police officer, right? But maybe I'm good at other things, right? So I believe everybody is good at something. So these people in front of the house, and I talk to them, I say, oh, please, I say, you know, you can spend the time doing other things, 
you know. And then they say, uh, yeah, I say, I say, you don't have to chill right now. They say they're chilling, right? I say, don't chill. Uh, do something, work on something. If you cannot find a job yet, volunteer for something. And then, uh, per, you know, develop your skills, develop your uh, working ethics so you can be a good worker one day. And everybody takes time to, to, to grow, myself included. I'm not, I'm, you know, maybe I'm still are not, not the best worker in the world, right? I can still have a lot of room to grow. So I tell them that. And then I say, don't smoke. You know it's going to hurt you. And then I say, I cannot ask you to stop smoking, but maybe smoke one cigarette less. And look, and I, I'm allergic to smoke. And they will say, hey, Miss Helen doesn't like us smoking that much. They say, you go over there. <laughs> uh, she's allergic. So they love me there. When I'm being very open-hearted to them, they don't hurt me. They know I don't like them doing that. But I'm doing, I'm saying it in a very sincere way. I want them to be good, you know. So, so that's what happened. And I think we need compassion. We need true leadership with love. I don't see a progressive caucuses having any love in their heart. They don't love. Uh, people are suffering by smoking addict. They're suffering by drug addict. And in the marijuana shop, they not only sell marijuana, they sell cocaine, they heart, sell heart, heart, heart drugs. People get killed. I mean, if you love people, you will say, oh, please don't smoke. It's not about respecting their freedom to smoke. Yeah, we are free. We are free to commit many crimes, by the way. I'm free to go out and commit crime right now. Nobody is stopping me, right? But you need to have the policy in place to deter people from doing that. And as a official, right, we need to put in the policy. We also need to have a heart of love. We need to look at our constituents and say, you know, I love you. I don't want you to smoke that much. I love you. I don't want you to use drugs. Can we not use drugs? Can I do something for you so you can spend this time more productively? Can you, you know, uh, get some training? Can I do something for you so you can get the training? Can we do something like that? So that is what I, I envision I will become uh, when I'm elected uh, city council. I want to be actually providing, um, providing hope, um, providing solutions, providing love. Uh, and we need that. And the love inf is infectious. Uh, look, I go to those... Uh, people that's smoking and they recognize me if I when I pass by they call me behind me and say Miss Ella is that you you know yeah love is is infectious we if I if I love if I love you in most of the cases you love me back right so I think um, our district can use some love and we don't do not need the this kind of um, poisonous, evil uh, policies, prostitution, small shops, drugs, all these, and cashless bail crime. You know, when criminals are back on the street, it's not good for the criminals. You're not giving them freedom. You are robbing their only opportunity at the time to reform themselves. Uh, it is correct that the correction facilities and the program, they are not perfect. We need change. Then change them. But it doesn't mean we release the uh, criminals back on the street. It doesn't mean we rob their their opportunity to change. Yeah, that's what how I feel. <laughs> uh, listen, I love it. I love you. I love your platform because it's 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 an honest platform, and and I I appreciate you bringing that point that you would use, you will use your pulpit, your ability to speak to affect change in the state and in federal law. Yeah. I really appreciate because you know yeah. what? That's something that does not get done today in modern yeah. politics. It's yeah. not my problem. Contact your state assemblyman. It's not my problem. Contact your congressman. Um, and, and do you, you know, that's precisely because they that's a streamline. They are actually in bed with those person. Thank you. Yep. 
And that's exactly, and that's exactly what it is. And it's not an honest conversation and that's not love. And that's not compassion. Compassion isn't let me give you a needle and let me exactly. let you die on the street exactly. and exactly, you or tell you anything. That, yeah, that exactly, John and Eric. And, <laughs> and I also think our mental uh, mental health is also lack of, uh, uh, we need very careful laws that we do, do not um, violate people's right to, let's say, become a homeless, right? But we also need to recognize there's some room for us to to help out uh, mentally ill. Uh, so maybe I think maybe a church, not only the law enforcement, but law enforcement and church need to work hand in hand. So you have, uh, it's like a doctor's uh, operation decision. We used to do that. We used to do that. Oh yeah. Then, then we need to go back to those old good days. That, we used to do that. I mean, we have yeah, a billion dollars a year. Opinion. We have a, a billion dollars a year going to nothing, going to <clears throat> nonprofits that don't help anyone with mental illness. A yeah. billion dollars a year in New York City budget goes, and we just leave these people on the street. And oh. who, who gets help? Thank you, John, for pointing out. Yeah, one billion dollars it can do a lot of things. It can do a lot of things. You know, yeah. and uh, um, the other thing I just wanted to point out is you mentioned smoke shops. Yes. Um, I started, I got on social media about a year and a half ago, and and it was a big with the Progressive Caucus, with Justin Brannon, with Christopher Marte, with all of these progressives, Tiffany Caban, with Eric Adams, too, advocating for marijuana to be legal and advocating and, and then advocating to give these marijuana license away. And you could go back to my tweets. Yes. I literally said, how is this going to work? If there is no way for you to regulate this under the law that you're advocating for mm. and not w within three months of this becoming law, it's a complete disaster and they cannot regulate the smoke shops. So now they're blaming it on this is all city council, by the way, they passed this law. Now they want to create a law to go after the landlord. Now it's the landlord's job to enforce the law that the New York City Police Department and the New York City Sheriff's Office can't can't enforce because the law is so poorly written and was not well thought out because of something that Helen said earlier. These people are incompetent. They wouldn't get an entry level job at McDonald's, never mind an engineering job, never mind becoming a police officer, a paramedic, a firefighter. We need to start electing real people. Helen, I wanted to ask you, open border policy. It's something that the Democrats in New York City love. They love and support open borders, but yet they're attempting to get the migrant crisis under control. Can they rectify the two? Can you support open borders and get the migrant crisis in control? What's your thank, opinion? Thank you for asking that question. That uh, That is such a smart question. <laughs> I have to uh, praise you for that. Because when you ask question with our migrant crisis in connection to the open border, that shows how wise you are because you recognize it's not a problem that New York can solve it within itself. New York City has a lot of problems that cannot be solved within the city limit or some of the problem cannot be solved within the state limit. And this particular problem is a New York problem because the migrants are coming to New York City. However, the solution is not in New York City alone. The solution has to go, go back to the border. Everybody that pass through the border do not stay in the border town. They come to New York City and many other major cities, Chicago, Los Angeles. So for this very reason, I went to uh, Texas, a border town called Eagle Pass and another border town called Crystal City. I went to Texas um, last week, just uh, I went for a few days to talk to the sheriff there, uh, to talk to the people business there, to talk to the of uh, officials there, their judge, their uh, county uh, mayor. I talked to them to find out exactly what's going on. And the moment, I, I think human beings, we need to see in order to in, immediately conceptualize. The moment I see the vast long border in front of me, I immediately understood 
no barbed wires, no walls can protect our border. Because people will scale anything. They will, it's five layers of barbed wire. They crossed it, five layers, they die. It's a rapid running river. People cross, walking cross, die in the river. Every day they pull out like three, four dead bodies every day. But people rather die. And I, I don't know what will make them do that. Uh, that's another issue. But they, no physical border can stop border uh, crossing. And, and a lot of illegal uh, drug trafficking, human trafficking. There's one town, Crystal City, every day they have smugglers. And smugglers coming from different cities, Austin, Houston. They came over, they don't get prosecuted. So that's another thing. So it's about their uh, policy. The policy allowed them to cross the border. And they just passed through. A lot of them are giving some money. And guess where they go? New York City. New York. <laughs> yes. After they came, they stay. They don't leave. And it becomes New York City's endless problem. And who are we to say that they cannot receive full benefits, full medical benefits, full education benefits? And most of them are very low skilled. So they cannot make enough money to pay for the expenses they are going to do, they're going to give. Uh, receive. So so that become New York City's physical crisis. And I will end Century City Law. I will end how it's being up, applied to the migrants. So that's one thing I will do. But that's not enough. I will rally support to pressure the federal government to have zero tolerance in the border. Otherwise, the we can we cannot, we just cannot change the law quick enough to adapt to the people in on the street in New York, and they are not leaving. They pass through the uh, the border town, and then they come to New York. They stay in New York. Well, you know, I say it all the time: when you cross the border, it's like watching a football game, and you cross the fifty-yard line. But to get to the touchdown, you go to New York City. Yes. So you did say that. Yes, New York City can't fix this alone. Correct. But New York City also threw gasoline in the fire because, yes, we have open borders. It's a huge migrant crisis, flood the entire country. But New York City created this funnel for them when they crossed the border to come to New York City. Their signs say food, shelter, potential work. We have immediately you go to Roosevelt Hotel, you go to a five star hotel. As soon as you go to New York City, if you are crossing the border and you came from a country of extreme poverty, a third world, where are you going? You go to New York City. They made it extremely attractive. So, yes, they didn't start the problem, but they exacerbated the problem and a problem that's just out of control. And Mayor Eric Adams says it himself now it's not sustainable. But yet, we <clears throat> haven't closed the lid. I say it all the time. It's almost like if I took a Snapple bottle and I cracked out the entire bottom and I'm pouring water and I'm like, well, I'm pouring water inside my bottle. Why is it still leaking? Because it's open. So exactly. they created this whole this problem. And, and the it, leak is so much greater than what a federal government can supply. And it's, it's the job for the federal government to have a good border policy. And only zero tolerance. Zero tolerance means if we arrest someone, if they're not United States citizen, then we send them back where they come from. And we we foot the bill for sending them back. But that's comparative to that live on uh, our soil and the expenses that may incur, it's a small piece. And that is part of the expense that we need to take. And But the policy will protect our country and also protect so our city. So during this time, have you seen your your community, your district in particular, affected by the migrant crisis as we speak? Yes. Um, if you remember, uh, about maybe less than a month ago, uh, Staten Island have many big rallies, right, uh, to protest against a migrant center being built in their midst. And guess what? That was August, September timeframe. But my district, 
starting to have migrants in December, last December. We already have them for that long. And guess what? When, when we have them, that is a historic architecture uh, on 231 Grand Street, Grand and, and, and Bowery, right? And guess what? <clears throat> uh, my opponent, Christopher Bonte, wrote a letter to our community and say, if you don't welcome them, you are xenophobia. You are, you are racist. <laughs> before we even see, before we even say a word in the web, you gotta be the kidding letter, me. You gotta be unbelievable. That. It's like before you even speak, they already slap you. And I thought that was so offensive. Um, and and they say that to uh, to the Chinatown community, I felt it's so offensive. It's insane. So, um, yeah, and we have a lot of others. I work uh, among uh, my people all the time. So I visited many families who, um, who live on the fifth floor of a walk-up. And he's... He's already 70, over 70 years old. His knee is not doing well. So when he climbs wow. up five flares, it's very difficult for him. And I visited their family. I know how difficult it is. He was so slow. I followed him and it took like, oh, you know, a long time. And I visited another lady. She lived in the rear of a, 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 of a building. So what she needs to do is she needs to climb up and then go down to the second floor and then go down and then pass through a little courtyard space and then climbs three flares to her room. And she tell me, and there's no rail, by the way, at the courtyard. And so she tell me it's so dangerous in the winter because the courtyard would have a layer of ice. And she just cannot go anywhere when it's snowing uh, because the landlord is not gonna clean it soon enough. And can you imagine an old lady fighting with the landlord and say, come here, otherwise, otherwise what? <laughs> otherwise the, you know, you want to move out? Okay, move out. You know, they live uh, in a lower uh, rent uh, apartment, right? So that is uh, uh, the reality of many of my constituents. And uh, another couple, they have waited to live in a Michelama building for over 18 years. So we uh, we need to build more Michelama uh, buildings, affordable housing. Um, the the Democrats always promise, oh, we are going to more affordable housing. It never showed up. <laughs> I never seen affordable housing showed. They're only fighting for maybe a few apartments, 10, 20, whatever. In how do you feel about how do you feel about veterans getting first dibs on Michelama? I think so. Uh, I, I really want them to get the first dip. Uh, I really want uh, uh, a lot of senior, like 85 years and above, uh, you know, they should get the first dip. And then young people, you know, we wait for the second round. Uh, so uh, we, we need to take care of uh, not just uh, veterans. Some, uh, we, we need to identify who they are and let them be the priority. They serve our country with their life uh, and their family serve our country with uh, the, their life. So we need to honor them. I think nothing can be, uh, can show enough uh, appreciation and to let them have, be the first to receive housing is just the right way to go. Another thing I want to mention is if a veteran suffer mental illness, then they might need a different treatment. Uh, because living in an apartment building may not be a good uh, thing for them. Maybe they need to live in suburb, have their individual cabins, uh, so they have more open space. I have talked to many veteran uh, homeless, and they tell me they do have housing. They don't lack of housing, but they cannot live in it because they just uh, their mind is hurting them. They they say they stay outside because they need it to be open space. So I'm thinking we need to provide sufficient care for them to be in the open space. So maybe it's a state solution. We can go to the state and maybe a different area in the state can house some of the veterans and have like individual cabins at the nice and build the state like a resort. We have uh, developers build resort all the time. Why can't we 
build a resort for our veterans. You know, I, I don't see why not, you know. And today, people can purchase a re resort uh, apartment, right? You can purchase a one-bedroom, two-bedroom. They, they try to sell it to you uh, for a reasonable price. So that is the money we can spend for, for the veterans. Yeah. So I, yeah. No, so, I Helen, think... I, I, so Helen, I was going to ask you, um, what, you know, we're going on an hour. Yeah. What do you think, what do you want to tell the voters? What's the biggest difference between you and Christopher Marte? And why should, why should the residents at District 1 vote for you over Christopher Marte? Uh, I am a graduate from Columbia University and Harvard University. So I hope I will bring practical solutions. I have been an engineering executive for um, over a decade. And I have experience managing multi-million dollar projects, managing different departments who have diff different interests. Um, and I work with people. Uh, I, uh, my career, uh, after my engineering career, I have been a cushion pastor. So I have worked as a pastor for over uh, 15 years. And I work with families in crisis. I think New York is now in crisis. Whenever in crisis, we need someone with compassion and love and not propaganda, not uh, protests and advocacy. That's not enough. We need real solutions. Um, <clears throat> so I think on that front, I'm different from my opponent. He's a you know, megaphone and shouting person. Uh, I'm not. I, I want to give solutions. And secondly, uh, I think uh, I advocate for good things for our city. I, I do not want, uh, I want to keep Rikers open and reform uh, uh, any, uh, any area that make Rikers not as good as it should be. But we have to keep it open. Uh, we cannot have borough-based jails. And we, we must provide real affordable housing, Mitchell Lama, for uh, our seniors and veterans uh, and maybe uh, wounded Wounded warriors, wounded uh, NYPD. Yeah, I think we need to stand firm for them first. Uh, and I want to stop migrant crisis. I want to uh, stop the open border. Uh, and my opponent wants to open. Uh, uh, he wants to keep the border open. And um, he did not do the numbers uh, for how much it cost. Um, so I think for dignity, for, for safety for our families, vote for Helen Kiel. Vote for hope, vote for change, vote for uh, dignity for our city. Uh, Helen, I, I approve your I approve your message. One <laughs> thing you said that I really I really love is that you're say what you're saying is is tough love because I believe that tough love is actually showing love, right? What you're saying earlier, when it comes to our, our kids, our children, if, if our children, if we found out our kids were on the verge of diabetes, we wouldn't house our entire kitchens with cookies and snacks. If we, you know, and that's why I feel that your opponents and other other progressive leftists on the New York City Council, they're enabling people for bad habits and just creating more bad behavior. That's not helping them. You need tough love. And what you said also is a message that I love. Your opponent is screaming, shouting and yelling with the big horn. And what you're saying is that you want to show solutions. Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt said it best. Walk softly, carry a big stick. And that's what you're saying. I approve your message. Helen, thank you so much for coming on here and presenting your platform. I love your smile. I, I, I love to talk with you more. I, you know, I think that you have a great platform, and I can tell that you actually care because tough love is true love. Thank you so much, Eric. You summarize it so well. Maybe I will use it on my campaign slogan, Tough Love with Helen Q. <laughs> there you go. That's I like gonna it. Be a podcast. Right. That's going to be a podcast, Tough Love with Helen Q. Yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. <laughs> no, no, we you, got you, it. Yeah, we appreciate you. You're the you. finest, indeed. We appreciate you coming out. Could you just tell our viewers where we could find you? Uh, oh, yes. Donate to your campaign. To, <clears> my know, campaign office. Media? My campaign office is in One Division Street in New York, New York, uh, 10002. And my uh, website is Helen QIU. HelenQIU.com. And um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Helen 
number four NY. Thank you so much. I'm very honored to be uh, with the finest, with my finest hour. Thank you. Great, great discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank the great and powerful Helen Q, New York City Council District 1. Get out there, tell your relatives in District 1, vote Helen Q. We'll be back. Thank after. you. Okay. Thank you for the shout out. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE.